This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Now, here's Dr. Gloria. Welcome to the Grief Relief Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my co-host. Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, Heidi, uh, we're glad to... Hi, Mom. Hi. (laughs) How are you today? we got a great guest. Would you uh, like to introduce her? Sure, I would love to. And, you know, she's very interesting and very... And I'm very interested to see what she's going to say today. And she's talking about loss and the fight for happiness. And her name is Jennifer Rouse, and her only daughter died... And what would you do if your only daughter was killed in an accident? Uh, Jennifer is here today to tell us, and she is from Woodbridge, Virginia, and is the author of Infelicity, Life Loss, and the Fight for Happiness. On this show, Jennifer shares with us her experience of being a single mother of an only child. She tells us how she made it through tragedy, what she did that worked, and the things that she learned that could have been done better. Welcome to the show, Jennifer. Hi, Gloria. Hi, Heidi. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you on today, Jennifer. And uh, I was telling Heidi before we started uh, the show today that I am really, your book is very unusual, uh, you know, introspective things about the loss of your child. The idea, um, you take a very proactive stance on it, and I like that. And And you talk about some of the people that have been influential in your life, such as your uh, coach in high school and your dad. And uh, I don't know, Heidi and I have found that men take a little more active approach to loss, haven't we, Heidi? Absolutely. They're, they're more instrumental in their grief, and they're, they're more kind of like fixers and doers. And i kind of seen some of that with you, Jennifer. What do you think about that thought? I, I think maybe um, it has to do with being a single parent. And maybe more so a single parent that loses their only child. And I have found that you're kind of left on your own um, to recreate your life. And maybe it has to do with the fact that you don't have that partner or you don't have other children, that you kind of have to take that role in a more dominant role. And I found um, in my own grief that um, in the beginning I wasn't good at it. (laughs) I was horrible at it. And I figured out that if I was going to make it, you know, this was my grief and nobody else could do it for me. And so I kind of took the tools that I had learned throughout my life um, and applied them to this grief. And when I started to look at grief as my opponent is when things really started to turn around. And I know it doesn't work like that for everybody, but um, I know as a single as a single person, there are different um, different things you deal with, um, maybe compared to having a husband or having more children. And, and so, so Jennifer, I want to stop you for a minute because you're saying yeah. so many important things, and I want to get it out there to our audience. You're saying that what helped, I like what you're saying, because you're saying that what helped is looking at grief as the opponent. Can you talk mm-hmm. more about that? Like, um, how did you do I, that? And I took steps. Um, mm-hmm. it, when being an athlete, and you play, you played basketball, right? Basketball or basketball and volleyball. Uh-huh. But it was that basketball coach from a very young age that I was lucky to have him, basically from the third grade until I went off to college. And um, he was a spiritual man, 
but he didn't really, you know, talk about God. But he implemented very godly things into our daily routines and workouts, and he worked us hard. I mean, he worked us really hard. And when I started to look back at that training, it was the same kind of concept. It was like, okay, I know this is really hard work, and how am I going to do it? And so I started to implement the little things that he would implement into his into our days. And so it was the it was those little things. It was the stick it notes, um, putting them on my where I could see them every day. Um, positive reinforcement. And now, what did you put on your stick it notes? Mm-hmm. That's what I want to know. Um, it, it varies. Um, one of them was bucket up. You know, my father used to say it to me all the time, and I used to hate it. <laughs> but it's, it's one of those things that it's like you don't have any other choice, so what else are you going to do? And that was, a, that, was, that was from my own learned behavior, I believe, as a child, that it, that, it, that helped. And, mm-hmm. um, and then just inspirational quotes I would find, and I still do it today. I'll wake up and, and you know, look at something that, that gives me inspiration, and I think that's different for everybody. But I think it's important. Well, well, you know, I have something right here that I'm looking at. Like you said, it's different for everyone. And one of the mm-hmm. things I look at is a saying that says, life isn't about waiting for the storm to pass. It's about learning to dance in the rain. Exactly. And I think those and kind of sayings, like you said, can be really powerful when you're drowning and you don't know how you're going to survive. Yeah, and I think it, you know, if somebody would have told me this, you know, Two years in, I would have thought, yeah, right. Um, but I, be- I really believe that it works because once I got it about three or four years in and I started implementing this is when I realized that this is working for me. I know one of, one of the quotes you made was uh, press on, and that rem- reminded me of Winston Churchill. That's one of the things he said, press on, or the other thing was when in hell, keep walking. Yeah, and, you know, you don't have a choice in this, and it is hard work. It's very hard work, and I think that sometimes from other people I've talked to that are in in different, you know, different years in this grief is that sometimes we tend to give in to the grief, and I did that for many years, and I'm kicking myself now because I lost so many years, and I think it's hard when you're in it to see it, but it's important to me that for people to know that they can come out on the other side of this. And especially being a single, a single person who loses their only child. Um, and Georgia, tell them a little bit about how you lost Georgia, how she died. Georgia was with her cousin on her father's side, and they were driving through an intersection that was under reconstruction. And um, another car hit them, and they both died instantly. Mm. And so it was not just her, but also another family member. And You said a step-cousin um, who was pregnant with twins? Yes, yes. Wow. And so they all died instantly. And so there was, it was multiple deaths, and then it was, mm-hmm. um, you know, a family member wasn't responsible for her death, but, you know, those emotions that you go through of trying to figure things out, and um, and that takes a long time um, to process. And Georgia, Georgia was 13. 
the time. I don't think we mentioned that. Yeah. And one thing Heidi and I were talking about earlier, Heidi, do you want to mention what you were impressed with what Jennifer said in her book about them living, the people that hit them? Yes. You said something about thankfully they they lived, those the people that hit the other car, right? Yes. Yeah, so it, it sounds like a, there's some there's some forgiveness, or maybe it was always there. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, and it was. I think they were teenagers. It was um, mm-hmm. a teenager that lived in the town that we lived in, okay. and her boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And she had broken both of her ankles, and her boyfriend had walked away. And wow. you know, it wasn't really it wasn't her fault. <laughs> so if there was, I didn't see any blame on her. From the very beginning, mm-hmm. and I was thankful that that she lived, and they they both are doing good. So, um, well, that's a test. I was lucky enough. We not interview to have we we interview many many people on the show, and some people are very angry, and they hold on to that anger, and it it mm-hmm. begins to take a toll on their health and their relationships. Yeah, and I think that I think that that anger is something that can propel you in this. Propel you forward or Yeah, I think that in order to not get stuck, I think that we have to use I think everything comes back to anger. And I've read before that depression is just anger that that is inward that goes inside of you. It's the anger that goes inside that causes depression, mm-hmm. which you know kind of hit home with me. And um, there's just so many things that when when we get angry, it just sucks us. And so I learned that when I got angry, I had to get busy because that anger, you know, it, it stimulates your adrenaline glands. You know, it it's wanting to get you to get busy and do something. And when I when I took that anger and started to get busy and used it as my advantage, is when it started to propel me even faster through this to being to a point that I was getting better and better and better. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, now, Jennifer, you said you said at one point that there was healthy things that you didn't do that you should have started sooner. What, what were oh, those? Yeah. For those out there yeah. that, you know, need to start working on their own health, healthy things. It, the, the physical side. I was so focused on my emotional and mental health that I forgot and totally just disregarded my physical health. And I am a firm believer that that is the key in in surviving through this. I think that from what I've learned, I found a doctor named Dr. Eric Berg, who's in Alexandria, Virginia, and he was able to describe stress and create a plan for me that has worked. It's just awesome. I mean, when I found it, it was like a light bulb. I was like, this just makes sense. Nobody's ever explained this to me before. And I think that physical health is key in being able to maintain and manage. I like that, maintain maintain and manage. Because you do talk about grief as being kind of a monkey on your back that you have to control, right? Yeah, and it is. I mean, it's, it's all about management. You know, in the beginning, I thought it was, oh, I'm going to get through this and it'll be okay, and then I'll get through the next thing. And it's all... All these emotions and all these experiences we have within grief happen at different times in the same day or the same week or the same year over and over and over again. And so it's about managing. And when I, when I started to realize that's what it was about, 
is when I started to change my, my game plan. And I think that, you know, being proactive in it is, is the only way that you can do it because especially when you're single, um, you don't have somebody there to say, let me, let me take the reins for a while for you. You know, you be sad today and I'll work and I'll clean the house or I'll go to the grocery store. You don't have that luxury, I guess you can say. Mm-hmm. And so creating a team, and I know that, that you have talked about this with other people about having a team set in place, um, to help you is, is vital to your survival. Mm-hmm. And finding what we like to call safe people, people that you can be with yeah. that can hear and that can help you and help you move forward. Um, you know, I wanted, before we close the show, I wanted to talk about the blessings and living in appreciation. I know you talk about that, and people don't think much about, you know, blessings or appreciation after they've been through something horrendous like you have. Yeah, and I think appreciation is another key. I think health and appreciation... Um, when you can start to appreciate, I mean, it's going to come naturally to you because of this situation that we all go through. But I think that appreciation is key into finding your joy. Because for years I thought, I'm never going to find my joy again. I'm never going to be joyful again. I didn't feel it in my gut. I thought it was gone. But I found that through appreciation in everything, it it creates that happiness again. And it's vital to that whole survival and, and managing this, this monkey I call grief. <laughs> Jennifer, how can people get your book? Um, it's, on, it's on Amazon. Okay. And it's called Infelicity, I-N-F-E-L-I-C-I-T-Y, A Guidebook to Grief, Life Lost, and the Fight for Happiness by Jennifer Roos. And it's R-O-U-S-E. And I want to tell you... Um, I am very impressed with this book. It's really a different book. And if you're a person who um, really wants to figure out how to get up and get motivated and how somebody's done it. And Jennifer, as you said, it's not the first year. It's tough, right? It, it was a trip. It is. It is. And, you know, it hasn't, just in the last four years is when I started really feeling the progression of me coming out of it. And it's been how many years has been seven, is that right? Um, ten years. Ten years, okay. And you're feeling after six? Eleven and Yeah, yeah. So coming along. Yeah, and so it, was, it, it takes a long time. I mean, but that's what I, I want people to know, that it doesn't have to take as long as it took me. Right. And I'm hoping that that it can help. Right, and, and give people some tips. Because, because you do move along. I mean, you're not in the same horrible place you were the day after the week after I mean you do things do progress but you know there are ups and downs and back and forth and that kind of thing and you and you talk about something in your book that I like to talk about and that is that the first year is really rough I think that you said I think of it as grieving for your child the second year you tend to grieve for yourself and the loss that you've had and maybe the third year you start to think about, well, what's my life going to be like? And then you start moving along. But the second year can be rough because you come into this new awakening. You're feeling a little bit better and you start taking it. It's tough. It's quite a process. But I, I think your book could be really helpful for people. And thank you so much for being on our show today. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jennifer. Thanks, Heidi. And have a great day. Well, hi, uh, very interesting show and, and an interesting uh, perspective on uh, grief and, and dealing with it, isn't it? 
Well, I love it because she gives you so many ways that you can move, move, move forward and move and tips on how to emotionally support yourself, healthy things you can do, how to find positive again. And I like the idea that she was an athlete and using those kind of messages and those metaphors of how you, what do you do when you're, when you're running a marathon? Because grief is like a marathon, mm-hmm. right? And how do you get, you know, to the end and find, well, how do you get to that place of hope? when you want to give up, using some of those principles that she learned from her coach right. and applying it to the grief process. Yeah, absolutely. Very interesting and, and a great book and, a, and uh, a really good read. So thanks for listening to our show today, and God bless. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.